Well, last weekend, I was not with you guys because I had this opportunity to go see the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. And it was this beautiful opportunity with a whole group of pastors from the city of Phoenix. And we got to see like, it was like three floors, very well done of artifacts and experiences to lay out the scriptures, the word of God, 66 books, 40 plus authors, three different languages, three different continents and see like, how did we get that? How do we have God's word, the, the God of the universe, infinite God, how do we have his words in our hands as finite people? And it was this amazing experience and, and it left me with a, a lot of takeaways, but the biggest one was this, our Bible is precious. As we, as we begin to walk through this museum and learn about all the translations and, and how it got put in different languages and how up until the 1500s, it, it wasn't in a lot of languages and, and we didn't have it in our English language till then. And, and just all the sacrifice and pain and efforts that it took to translate this Bible, God's very words in a language where we can understand it. And by God's grace, we now have the Bible translated in about 3000 different languages. It's amazing. And it just reminded me of how precious the Bible actually is. And I know for like, you guys are more spiritual than I am. So, but, but for me, I, like, I take the Bible for granted sometimes. I know you don't, but I do. And it was just like, man, I, wow, I don't need to take this for granted. Like, this is so precious. And so I tell you that because I imagine you actually, you need to take the Bible more seriously and you need to see it as precious in your life. I tell you that like in general, but I also tell you this because you're gonna need to remind yourself the Bible is precious as we look at our passage today. <laughs> because you're gonna read, we're gonna read it all together in a second and you're not gonna think it's precious, you're gonna think it's perplexing. And so I want you to remember as we read this passage, this is God's word too. It was put here for a reason. And here's the reality. We're gonna lean in this together. We're gonna have to do a little bit of work to realize what it's telling us, right? And that's okay because like anything worth doing in life takes a little bit of work. Like CrossFit, you do that, it's a lot of work. Like shopping and finding the deals, that's a lot of work, but you do that, right? So we're gonna, do you think we have to do work to understand an infinite God as finite people? The answer is yes, people, okay? So we're gonna lean in and do a little bit of work together. And here's what I would tell you too, is also as a preface is there's gonna be times where you are a little bit confused, but when you feel that moment of confusion, just know you are in good company. And I don't mean just like your pastor, I mean the apostle Peter. I love this, uh, the apostle Peter, the VIP varsity disciple of Jesus, the rock on which the church is built. Do you know what he said in 2 Peter 3.16 about the words of Paul? He said, hey, sometimes Paul's letters are hard to understand. Doesn't that make you feel good this morning? Okay, the apostle Peter, he actually walked closely with Jesus and he's like, that guy, Paul, like he's a little bit hard to understand. And so we're in good company, but we're gonna see that this confusing text, we're gonna see it get a little bit more clear by the power of the spirit and through his word. Okay, so look at it with me, Galatians chapter four. Grab your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, grab one under the seat in front of you and we'll read this together and then we will break it down. Here's how we're gonna break it down if you take notes. We're gonna talk about the illustration Paul gives. Then we're gonna talk about the implication. What does this story mean? And then we're gonna talk about the application. 
What does this story mean for us? Like, what do we do with this? So we're gonna look at illustration, the story, the allegory that Paul gives. Then we're gonna look at implication. Then lastly, application. Here's what it says. Galatians 4, starting in verse 21. It says, tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother for it is written rejoice O barren one who does not bear break forth and cry aloud you who are not in labor for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband now you brothers like Isaac are children of the promise but just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit so also it is now but what does the scripture say cast out the slave woman and her son for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman so brothers we are not children of the slave but of the free woman amen Come on, somebody. That don't wake you up in the morning. I don't, it, like all of you have this verse on your coffee mug at home, right? Like it's woven into blankets, right? Like, no, like this is like, we're like, Tim, what? Like this is precious? No, it's perplexing. And, and so here's what I would say is, is, is we have to lean in to understand this, this story a little bit more. And the story, as you noticed in there, it talks about Abraham. And although it doesn't mention Sarah and Hagar by name, this is the free woman and the slave woman that he's talking about. And so Paul is giving us, he says it, this allegory of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. An allegory by definition just means a story with a deeper meaning. And so we have to unpack, why, why does Abraham show up in the book of Galatians? If you don't know, Abraham's all the way back in the first book of our Bibles in the book of Genesis. Why does he keep showing up in the book of Galatians? If you've read with us in this book, what you notice, he keeps showing up over and over again. Why is Paul doing that? Well, as we look at verse 21, look at it with me, you get some clues, some context of why he's telling the story of Abraham yet again. Verse 21, he gives his target audience. He says this, tell me you who desire to be under the law. See, Paul has a specific audience, a specific point to give this to this specific audience. It's this audience of Judaizers who are promoting this idea, this paradigm of Jesus plus sign. Jesus plus the ceremonial law. Jesus plus the Sabbath and circumcision and, and the first five books of the Old Testament called the Torah, known as the law. And so these Judaizers were promoting this paradigm of, of Jesus plus, like Jesus is okay, he lived, died, and resurrected, but it's, it's, it's not enough just to believe in Jesus. You need all of these elements of the law in your, your life. And so Paul is writing to, to them, but he's also writing to the Galatians who had succumbed to this paradigm, who had started to buy into this ideology. And so Paul is writing to these specific people, both of them who would have known the story of Abraham. 
Both of them would have been familiar as the Galatians began to learn about their faith, as the Judaizers knew their faith and memorized their faith and the law in the Old Testament. They both would have been familiar with this guy, Abraham. And so Paul leans into that and he says, okay, you wanna talk about the beginning, you wanna talk about Abraham, let's go back, like I can do that too and let's dig into what his story really teaches us. So very masterful artwork by Paul as he brings this story, this allegory that they could relate to and give it a deeper meaning that's gonna combat the false teaching that is there. Does this make sense? All right, so, so I, I know some of you probably know the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. Some of you are like, Hagar, who? Like, I don't know any of these characters. And for both of us, the reality is we need a bit of a refresher as we look at this, okay? So we're gonna look at the illustration and we're gonna look at Genesis chapter seven, 17, rather, four through seven. You can just look on the screen with me. Here's a little bit of this story of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar that's gonna frame everything up for us. It starts in verse four of Genesis 17. It says this, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. This is God talking to Abraham. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you that for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Later, if you keep reading in Genesis chapter 17, he talks specifically of your descendants. It's gonna start with this kid named Isaac. You're gonna have a son. His name's gonna be Isaac. And this is through him, this son, all the nations will be blessed. All your descendants will be blessed. And what you go on to see in the Old Testament is that happens. Like the people of Israel are blessed through this son of Isaac. And then eventually all of us, or we're, we're grafted into this as well. We are blessed and it all started through this idea of a son would be had and his name would be Isaac. But here's what happens as you keep reading and you read sort of the in-between time is you realize it doesn't just work out cleanly like that. And you, you gotta understand, this is a, this is a massive mind-blowing promise that God gives Abraham. Uh, it is that for a couple of, of reasons. One, it's because Abraham and Sarah at this point in life, scholars think we're like 75 to 80 years of age. And so they're beyond the childbearing stage, right? And so it's this massive sort of mind-boggling promise because of that, but it's also massive and mind-boggling because Isaac doesn't show up on the scene for 25 years. And so you do the math on that. If they were like 75 years old, they don't actually have Isaac till they're 100 years old. And so here's what happens as you read in the book of Genesis is Abraham and Sarah start to look at God and be like, God, I believe your promise. Like, I know you're gonna give us a son, but I'm not so sure about your plan because we are getting older every year. And it doesn't seem like we're gonna have this son, Isaac, as you have said. And so they get really crafty and they say, God, we believe in your promise, but we gotta help you out with your promise just a little bit. And so they grab this servant girl named Hagar and they say, hey, she's young and beautiful. That's what the text says in the Old Testament. Hey, she can probably have this child and still everybody's gonna, it's gonna be great. Like everybody's gonna get blessed, like the people of Israel, like the people in the future. It's just gonna happen through a different little mechanism. Like this servant girl, Hagar, you get with Abraham and you guys have a baby and you have a son and it'll just work out that way. 
Always a bad idea to mess with God's plan, right? And so here's what happens is Abraham and Hagar, they have this son. His name's Ishmael, not Isaac. And yet many years later, as God promised, they still have their son, Isaac. And so now you have these two mothers and these two sons. One of these sons was wrought through works, making it happen. Hey, God, you don't have this figured out. Like we got to do this on our own. That was Hagar and Ishmael. And then the other son, Isaac and Sarah, that was brought through promise, receiving and trusting in the promises of God. Do you see the difference? So you have these two mothers and these, these two sons. And so what is Paul trying to tell us with this allegory? What's the deeper meaning of these two mothers and these two sons? That's our implication. See, we have to look at this, this text and this story, be reminded of how it all worked and really realize, okay, two women, two sons, like what are you trying to teach us here, Paul? Because the reality is this, if you took the book of Galatians, and I hope you have done this or will do this at some point before our series is over. If you took the whole book of Galatians, it's six chapters, and you read it like a letter, because that's how it was intended to be read. That's how the Galatians would have read it all at one time. It would take you 20 minutes tops to read the book of Galatians start to finish. If you did that, what you would see is when you get to Galatians 4, 21 through 31, you would be like, is Paul crazy? Is Paul losing it a little bit? I mean, I followed you up to here, Paul. And even after this, he's gonna say, it's for freedom. God set you free. And you're just gonna be like, yes, this is great. Put it on the coffee mugs. But these verses, like they don't seem to go here. It's like when you're talking to your grandpa and he just starts giving you a side story that you don't see the connection to. And you're like, Grandpa, like, can we get, like, the fun word picture, fun story, but what are we talking about? If you read, I, I know all of you have read the book of Galatians. Let's just call it what you, you have. You've read it. I know you have, okay? Um, if you read, when you read it all, like, you got to this part and you're like, what's going on here? Like, is the Bible just some kind of confusing code that we have to crack? And, and here's the reality of what you need to do is, is, is make sure you, I know it's complicated, read your Bible, Okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna read the Bible, I promise you. Verse 24, it's gonna be fun. Look at the verse with me. Paul tells us what he's talking about, straight up. Verse 24, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. Mind blown, right? Everybody? Now, how do we get to that? Did I like whip up some secret sauce in the back? And you're like, that anointed man of God. No, we just, we just read verse 24, <laughs> Right, because the Bible is hard to understand this passage more than most, but, but God has something. If you just read a little bit closer, give a little bit more effort to see what is he trying to tell us. And what he says is it all comes down to this. I'm telling you this allegory, this story with a deeper meaning. Here's what it's about. These two women are actually two covenants. Now, here's what a covenant is. It's this binding agreement between two parties. It's something you attach your life to. It's your identity, your security. That is a, a covenant. It's a binding agreement. And so what is Paul saying? Well, he's saying there's these two binding agreements that you attach your life to. One of them is like Hagar and Ishmael, who that son was brought about through through works, 
through, hey, God, you don't know what you're doing. We're gonna take this into our own hands and we're gonna make this thing happen. It wasn't brought about through promise. It was brought about through plotting. That's one covenant. That's one thing you can attach your life to. And then the other thing you can attach your life to is this other covenant that is symbolic of Isaac and Sarah that wasn't brought about through plotting, but it was brought about through promise and by faith, through trusting and receiving that God said he was gonna do something and he did it and he brought about Isaac. Do you see the two covenants? This is the context. The context are the covenants. This is the framework of this allegory that helps shape up everything else. So you should start, a light bulb should come on. Okay, I get why he's saying the woman and the child and all this stuff. Like this is what he's talking about, actually talking about covenants. And, And this is important as you read scripture, as you read this passage in Galatians, as you read any passage in your Bible, it's it's important, it's key to understand the context. And that's not just important in scripture, that's important in life. Uh, A couple weeks ago, my wife and I had a bunch of kids over at our house, like 10 kids in our house. We have three kids uh, and, and they all invited friends and some of them multiple friends. And some of you are thinking, Tim, why? I don't know. I, we just, it was a crazy time. We just, we just did it and it happened. And I'm looking around. There's like 10 kids in my house. So you can picture that. And then also simultaneously, my wife left me and went to the grocery store. And I'm like, babe, 10 kids, what am I doing here? And she went to the grocery store and it wasn't just any grocery trip uh, run. She was getting all the groceries like for the next couple of weeks because we were going out of town and my parents were coming in to watch the kids and we love my parents and want them to have kids who are full, not hungry, amen. And parents, you, you know this, like when your parents come in town and maybe some of you do this, like we bought all the grab and go stuff that we would never buy on our own. Like we brought all the freezer meals and all the, the sugar and fun things just to make them happy, like fat and happy while we're gone. And so my wife came back with a lot of groceries to 10 kids in the house. Can you imagine the scene? Okay. Now in this moment, uh, my son, who's 10 years old, had his friend over for the very first time in our house. And I'm standing next to them in the kitchen unloading groceries. And my 10 year old, uh, his friend leans over to my son and says this, he says, how many kids live here? <gasps> I mean, he's looking around at all these groceries and all like 10 kids run around. He's just like, who lives here? What is happening? And so we had to explain to the little guy like, hey, the, all these kids aren't mine and they need to go, right? And all these groceries, like we don't normally do this. It's, it's, there's, there's some context to this story. And he began to understand what's really going on here, Right. That's the way it works in all of life. That's the way it works in scripture. And so the context is is covenants. This whole story is wrapped in this idea of two covenants. So what I wanna do is give you two implications of these two covenants, okay? So here's the first implication that we see is these two covenants may look similar, but they are vastly different, These two covenants may look similar, but they are vastly different. Now, where do I get that? The mother and son, mother and son. Those look similar, right? Two similar things. Like one's a mom and a son, one's a mom and a son. Looks very similar, but yet vastly different. Verse 25 and 26, Jerusalem is mentioned twice, two times. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Seems pretty similar. And yet they're vastly different. 
How are they different? Well, Paul talks about one Jerusalem is above and one Jerusalem is in the present, the earthly Jerusalem. And then you start to look at the, the mom and the son. They're similar, but vastly different. One was brought about through promise, trusting, and receiving. The other one was brought about through plotting and straining and striving and doing things on your own. And these are the two covenants. Why does Paul give us this confusing allegory? He's trying to show you in story form a deeper meaning about these binding agreements, these things that we can often attach ourselves to, our identity and security to. Some of us, we can attach our lives, our identity, our security to promise. Oh, it's by grace through faith that I'm saved. I know I'm secure in Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection for me, that's where I live, that's where I ride. And that other times, you know, it's like, well, I'm doing these things and I'm not doing these things. And I went to this Bible study and I'm learning these Bible verses and I know such and such. And I have this podcast to download on my, on my phone and, and, and I'm not sinning. Like, I mean, at least I won't tell anybody. I'm gonna kind of scheme this thing up so that I receive acceptance and freedom in life. Does this relate to anybody in the room today? There's two vastly different covenants and yet they, they look similar. And so Paul is giving you a story to show you they are vastly different. And and he's actually gonna tell us, and here's the second implication, it's not both and, it's either or. Here's what we learned about this illustration, this allegory, this story, these two covenants. It's not both and, it is either or. You see it in the text, verse 28, look at that verse. He says, you like Isaac are children of promise, you are secure. And then yet in verse 30, he says, the slave woman and the son, they're cast out. They're not secure. This isn't just a contrast of covenants. This is a dividing line between the two covenants. What Paul is making abundantly clear with this imagery is that you can go only one of these two paths. You can only anchor in one of these two paths. And you even see it with the imagery of mother. Why does Paul use the imagery of mother? The story, the illustration of, of mother. How many mothers do you have? How many mothers do you have? I think everybody has one. Oh, you can only have one covenant. You you can only ride promise and then discard plotting. You can only go, oh, no, I'm gonna, I I have done some, I've been in church for a long time. Well, like, well, everybody was going out clubbing. Like I was going to college ministry, like worship nights. Like Tim, while everybody was like a kid doing stupid things, like I was memorizing Bible verses, Tim. Like you talked about giving to the church. We give 10% plus a percentage every single year. Like Tim, I know like Francis Chan and Billy Graham and like, like, no, no, no. Like I, and you're like, I'm plotting, I'm working, I'm earning, even though you may not say that. But yeah, also like Jesus and by, you know, by grace through faith, I know he did it. No, you, you can't mix them. It's either or, not both and, right? And we only get that because of the allegory, the imagery that Paul gives us. See, the nature of covenant is you attach your life to something. You bound yourself to it. Even that, can you bind yourself to two things that way? No, you can only bind yourself to one thing. You can only have one mother. And what Paul is saying in a very emphatic story is 
Who are you attaching your life to? Who are you attaching? What are you attaching your identity and security to? It's not a both and, it's an either or. That's the way it works. And so we are meant to look at these two covenants, law and promise, works and trusting by grace through faith. Where are you attaching your life to? Last thing, application. What do we do with this? Uh, Look at verse 27. Paul quotes here Isaiah 54, another seemingly confusing random verse, but he has a point to it. He talks about being barren and desolate, but crying out to God and receiving blessing. Why does he throw that in there? Why does he throw Isaiah 54 in there? It's meant to call us to look at our lives. Okay, what are we attaching ourselves to? This covenant of works or this covenant of promise? Where do we ultimately anchor in for our identity and for our security, approval and freedom in life? Where do we do that? And what Paul says is the way you do that is you recognize you're barren and desolate. And then when you cry out to God and you realize this covenant of works, this covenant of my resume, this covenant of rules, this covenant of plotting and scheming and trying to impress everybody else around me, this covenant has left me barren and desolate and I am broken. And in the midst of that, I cry out to God for not the plotting, but the covenant of promise that by grace through faith, I'm saved by no merit of my own, that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life that I could never live. He died the death in my place that I deserved and he rose again and and he did all of that and I'm simply receiving his promise and that's my identity. That's, if I'm gonna attach myself to something, that's where I'm attaching to. And all of these other things is not what I'm attaching to. It's the brokenness, the the point of barrenness and desolate place that we come to. And and that's where you can write down this statement that we're gonna throw up on the screen. How do we apply this? Here it is. Every day we choose whether we rely upon ourselves or whether we come to the end of ourselves, relying solely on Jesus. Every day we choose whether to rely upon ourselves or come to the end of ourselves, relying solely upon Jesus. How do we apply this? Every single day we have this decision. What covenant are we gonna attach ourselves to? Like functionally in your life, in your marriage, in your sin, in your righteousness, in your career, in your finances, what are you functionally attaching yourself to? And the reality is every day we have to choose, are we gonna rely upon ourselves, the plotting, the covenant of works? Or are we going to come to the end of ourselves and simply trust and receive the promises of God by faith? See, here's the reality. If you've been with us for any length of time in this series, is you know this story in Galatians, this book of the Bible, it's been a little bit redundant, right? It's just like law, grace, like the law, you can't, like, man, it's, it's not, that's not where it's at. Like you gotta, by faith and grace, like you gotta cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ, him alone. There's no Jesus and then a plus sign. It's just Jesus alone. And it, it's been a little bit redundant, right? You can admit that in church, it's okay. And here's the, why is it so redundant? 
Why is Paul now like, let me craft a story from the Old Testament to teach you one more time this truth? Why is it redundant? Listen, it's because your need to hear this is redundant. You need to hear this every day. Like, what did Jesus say? How, how do you follow Jesus? He said, take up your cross one time. That's it, and then you're good. Is that what he said? He said, take up your cross daily and follow me. This is something every time your feet hit the floor, when you wake up in the morning, you're gonna be, lies are gonna run into you all over the place from our culture and even in the church and even the self-help books that you read that are so, so good and like you feel good about them and your finances and your career and your kids. Everybody's gonna tell you, choose this covenant. Choose this lane, choose this law, choose this works, choose this earning and striving and straining. And every day you're gonna have to make a choice. I'm not gonna rely upon myself. I'm gonna come to the end of myself. And every day it's gonna feel super weird to do that because the culture is not doing that. Many Christians are not living that way. And you're gonna be, but if I, if I don't like in my career, if I don't like the, climbing the ladder covenant, well, I'm not gonna fail. If I don't with my kids, if I don't, if I don't strive and strain and, and like ascribe to that covenant, it's not gonna work out for me. And it's gonna feel weird. It's gonna feel abnormal and strange. And you need to know following Jesus is like that. Let me just set some of y'all free today. Following Jesus is different than the world, amen? There's a different covenant. There's something different that we attach ourselves to. And people are looking at you like, why are you so attached to like a cross and a resurrection? It's different. And so you're gonna wanna try to cling, like get off of it and cling to something else. And Paul is redundantly saying, no, 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 no. Cling only to Jesus Christ by grace through faith. Cling only to his promise. Simply trusting, receiving him. The outcomes of your career, it's in his promise. The, the identity, security, your thoughts, your words, your deeds. Man, it's, I'm banking on him, not me and my circumstances and my efforts. And that's gonna feel a little bit weird. And you, you just, it should. Because there's two different covenants and the majority of the world, the majority of Christians are attached to a different one. And you're gonna to have to daily make a choice. I'm not gonna rely upon the covenant of myself and my works. I'm gonna to come to the end of myself. Well, Tim, that feels hard. I don't really like that too much. Yeah, it's different. But that's where the blessing is found. That's where the promise is fulfilled. And listen, I've seen this in my own life as a pastor leading this church that's now eight years old. We, at the beginning, like I read all the books about how to grow a church and build a church and do all those things. And let me just tell you, it never worked out that way. And some of you who've been around for like a year or like a few, even not eight, you're like, preach, I know it didn't work out that way. And it like, we always had like, I know, I know I have the formula, I'm gonna climb and I'm gonna work and I'm gonna, I'm gonna plot. And then God's like, no, 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 it's promise, covenant of promise, didn't work like that. So even the way we moved to this space, some of you guys know this, was like we were in a school and we got evicted with six weeks notice to move and God, God showed up in the covenant of promise as we trusted in him. And he's done a lot of work, 
But it wasn't through our plotting, it was through his promise. But man, I, I'm, tempted to go, I'm tempted to go to that other company. Are you, are you tempted in your career? Are you tempted in your family? It's a, this is why Galatians is so redundant. To remind you again today, I know you were here last Sunday, all of you. But just like, again today, this is the covenant. This is where you attach your life, right? I, I feel this as a parent. Right now, I have three kids, 13, 10, and seven. My oldest daughter, we're deciding where she's gonna go to high school. No oohs and ahs? that y'all haven't done that yet because it is stressful, right? I mean, it's like, it's like choosing where to go to college. And it's like a decision that is gonna affect where she goes to college, right? It's gonna affect who she marries, whether it's a Christian or a rebellious guy who doesn't like me. It's gonna affect what kind of career she has. It's gonna affect whether she's able to support her dad when I'm 70. It all hinges on this decision, people. And we're looking at it and we're like, man, well, okay, we gotta, we gotta stress, we gotta strive, we gotta strain. It's like, oh, is that the covenant we're attaching our lives to? Oh, thanks Paul for the redundant argument. No, like my, my baby girl, who's now not my baby girl, she's 13, whatever, I don't wanna talk about it. Um, she's God's baby girl. And we're gonna, Proverbs, wisdom, discernment, like that's in the Bible too. Like we're gonna be smart about this and try to pick a good high school. But ultimately the process and the product of that for my 13 year old daughter is not up to me and my works that I'm attaching and clinging to. It is the promises of God that I'm going to trust and receive. Amen? This is what I've experienced. This is what you, it's a good place to end up but it's a little bit different and it's a little bit hard, like reading this passage and trying to understand it. But this is where God would have us. So what are you attaching your life to? In your parenting, in your career, in your marriage, in your faith, where are you attaching your life to? God is calling you today. Hey, just a reminder, I'm not gonna rely upon myself and my covenant and my works. I'm going to come to the end of myself as uncomfortable as it is, and I'm going to receive and trust in the promises of God. Amen? God, thanks for today. Thank you for this difficult passage, but these deep meanings in it. God, I pray that it would bring fruit in and through our lives. God, in and through our church, that we would be known as a church that attaches ourselves to the promises of God by grace through faith, simply receiving and trusting you. And that yes, as we walk out, as we do a lot, that it would be effort, but not earning. That we would constantly, redundantly remind ourselves to attach ourselves, our identity and security to your covenant of promise by grace through faith. God, that, that, that only happens by your grace through faith today. And so I just pray for that to be real in our lives. God, I pray for the men and women who would today say, I, I get this. It is redundant and I think I got it. I'm, it. By grace, through faith, I'm accepted. I'm freed up in Christ. It's his promise. And maybe there's some people in the room and God, we celebrate that with them. And if it feels redundant, God, I pray that they would just know it's not redundant for the rest of our world. It's not redundant for their neighbor who doesn't know you. It's not redundant for their coworker. It's not redundant for the fifth largest city in the country. That God, as we grasp this beautiful covenant of promise and grace and the blessing of attaching ourselves to that, God, may we 
share that with other people who don't know that, who are just in the rat race of the world. And God, may Phoenix Bible Church be a group of people who are attaching to the covenant of promise and asking more people to come along with us. And so many people in 2022 in Phoenix that I know personally and that many of us know in this room, they're tired, they're exhausted, they're broken down, trying to compete and keep up and plot and scheme their lives away. And they need you. And so I just, I just pray for our city right now. I pray that we would be a light in the midst of that kind of darkness and that you would bring about your grace and your promise through us as Phoenix Bible Church. And God, then I pray for the people in this room who would just be honest to say, man, I, I'm not there yet. I don't get this. I, I still, I'm often walking and clinging to this covenant of law and works and striving. And God, I just pray that you would bring freedom for them right now in the name of Jesus, by your spirit that right now they would make a conscious decision to simply receive your promise, to walk with you, attached to you, to be in covenant with you and see you fulfill their promise, your promise in their lives. Now that's our prayer. We pray that in the name of Jesus and everybody said, amen.